You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Everybody, buongiorno, buenos dias, good day, ni hao, konnichiwa, all that shit. Welcome to Abacabu Cafe. I'm your host, Jason Alme. I want to say thank you very much for tuning in this week because we got a very special episode for you today. Today, I'm not talking about one of the television episodes. Today, I'm going to be talking about OVA episode three. I was a cat, I was a fish. Now, I am talking about this episode now as a bonus. I'm not taking the place of a regularly scheduled episode because I don't want to throw off my release schedule with uh, my episodes coinciding with the original air date, the anniversary of the original air date of of the Orange Road TV episode. But I do want to squeeze uh, these OVAs in where it makes sense to do so because I am of the opinion that these episodes should be watched in and amongst the television series as if they were lost episodes or something similar that you're trying to uh, just watch in along with the the rest of the continuity. I think they fit best there. I, it's perfectly valid to watch the uh, television series, the movie Anohi, and then to watch the OVAs because that's certainly how they were released. So if you were a fan of Orange Road during its original run – that's exactly how you would have watched them. But of course, if you're American, you probably watch them a little bit differently. For instance, this episode, I Was a Cat, I Was a Fish, has a very special place in my heart because it's the first ever episode of Orange Road that I ever watched back in 1995. I'm not sure why, but Animago decided to release the OVA um, three and four, uh, I Was a Cat, I Was a Fish, and uh, Hurricane Akane on VHS number one. So even even Animego released the OVA out of order. So for a long time, the OVA and the first movie, Anohi, were the only things that were available here commercially in the United States. Everything else was a fan sub. That's how you had to do it. So of course, 
there's a little bit of nostalgia here because the very first time I ever popped in an Orange Road video cassette, it was VHS number one, uh, the first release by Animago, and it came in that clamshell box. This was early in in Animago's release. This was before they moved to the the slip covers, but it was in that clamshell box, which in my opinion is a much classier and, and much more durable case for a VHS. And it had the uh, Akemi Takata artwork on the cover, and there's just something magical about popping this in. I was in love from the very first episode. This OVA, it makes sense to me. I don't I don't want to belabor the point of of when in the series to watch the OVAs, but the rest of the television episodes occur contemporaneously with their release date. So if you're watching an Orange Road episode that was released on July the 20th, then the events that you're watching happened on or or very near July 20th of 1987. So it makes a lot of sense to watch this OVA in and amongst the summer episodes. This OVA contains scenes of a festival and so it makes a lot of sense to watch it right near that uh, Tanabata episode because there would be associated summer festivals and other things going on. It's the right time of year as well. This OVA was originally released December 27th of 1989. We don't know when the action takes place. I mean, we know it takes place during the summer. We don't know if it's 1987, like the television series, or if it's 1989, when this was released, but we we know that it it probably doesn't matter. Kasuga in this episode doesn't mention what grade he's in. He doesn't mention his age. So it really doesn't matter when exactly we place this, but we know that it's taking place during the summer. You know, it makes sense to consider that this probably happened before the movie. I mean, if we see the dynamics of the love triangle, uh, certainly this had to have taken place prior to the movie I want to return to that day. So the director was Nakamura Koichiro. Nakamura also directed TV episode six, That Kid is My Rival, and TV episode 12, Study Abroad in America, Goodbye Madoka. The writer of this episode was Shizuya Isao. Shizuya previously wrote episode 12, Don't Ring the Wedding Bell. And as I mentioned on that episode, many of Shizuya's plots heavily involve the ESP power that the Kasuga family has. This is a fine example of that in today's OVA that we're going to be discussing. The conflict of this episode can only occur if the power is involved. There's no way for the conflict of this episode to occur if the power did not exist or the Costco's did not possess such power. Now, this episode gives us uh, what I consider to be a certified bop here in Choose Me by singer Tsubokura Yukio. This is the same singer as Breaking Heart. She's got this big, full voice. She brings this she brings this great energy to the up-tempo beats of, of both Choose Me here and Breaking Heart. Um... Choose Me is not without its sense of nostalgia either. I mean, there are lyrics here when you read the English translations that apply uh, this time having elapsed, like days going by at high speed, we go our separate ways. Uh, Dance With Me Again implies a history. On top of that, you've got this song playing over 
the sepia-toned first meeting of Kasuga and Ayuko from episode one. There we go. I can't talk over this. That's what I mean by her big voice. I mean, she's got this full voice. It's a little brassy, but she really, I mean, it's able to like fill the space. It's a big voice that she's able to project. It's coming from the diaphragm. And I mean, it's really wonderful up-tempo uh, beat and the, and her voice just goes with it perfectly. Um, as I was saying, this plays over the sepia-toned first meeting of Kasuga and Ayukawa. It, it takes the animation from that first episode uh, and makes it look like an old movie, like it's it's a memory, but it's it's both a classic and a relic of a bygone era. You get that feeling that it's like, it's this days gone by. I mean, even though it was only a couple of years old at the time that this episode was released, that this OVA was released, nonetheless, you still get this feeling of like, there's this nostalgia, there's this thing that happened and it was very important, but it's in the past now and we're kind of looking back at it. And I think that's, there's kind of a wonderful aspect of the opening. So even though they're recycling old animation and they're recycling animation that's not on the level of the rest of the OVA. We know that this occurs at some point during the summer months. Kasuga again mentions how hot it is. He's seen doing homework, whether this is regular homework or like a vacation assignment, who knows. So we can't definitively say whether or not he's on his Natsuyasumi yet. This could be homework that, of course, uh, Japanese students are given to complete over the course of their vacation, or it could it could just be regular, like normal term homework as well. Amidst his homework, Kasuga is envying the relative lack of responsibilities that a goldfish or a cat must enjoy. To his credit, in the same moment, he's acknowledging that there must be downsides to being a cat or a goldfish. He understands that it's they have certain perks, but there's going to be cons as well. But he's already put that shit out into the universe. So unfortunately, Kasuga is going to learn today. Enter the magic rope. Oji-san absolutely did not want Kurumi to find that magic rope in his bag. But he brought it on his visit to the Kasugas. I would think that he could have easily left it at home. That doesn't seem like a magical relic that he needs to take with him when he goes to visit his son-in-law and his grandkids. Of course, the, the Kasuga family is filled with teenagers who can teleport and move things with their mind, but they even they don't believe the magic rope is real. So that's a little weird. I mean, they've got magic watches that freeze time, but for whatever reason, if you pull out a magic rope that can change souls between two people that hold the ends, now I'm not believing you, old man. So, of course, Oji-san has to prove that the magic rope is as he says it is, and it's used for the first time between Oji-san and uh, Kurumi. The camera, as as Oji-san and Kurumi are are switching bodies, there's this of voltage. There's this sound of like crackling electricity, and you can see like blue lines that look almost like lightning that kind of follow along the rope. There's obviously something magical going here. We actually get a cutaway 
uh, from that scene that really should be very intensely interesting to us because there's something magical occurring. Uh, but we caught away from that, and we continue to hear the the noise it makes, the sound of that that wattage or that voltage. We caught away to see Jingaro uh, attempting to get at the goldfish. He's making leaps at the goldfish. The goldfish is just out of his reach. He was seen doing that in the opening sequence, but he, we cut back to that, and and there's a reason they cut back to that. This is like just in case you didn't know where we were going with this. So once they're Freaky Friday, Oji-san and Kurumi reverse mannerisms. So this is kind of a cool production thing where like the voice actors get to play the other character. So Kurumi's voice actor is is playing Oji-san in that in that moment. And the same thing with uh, the the voice actor for Oji-san is playing Kurumi inside of his body. And they take on each other's mannerisms. It's a little fun for the audience obviously. It's confusing for Kasuga, who comes into the room and, and wonders what the hell's going on and why they're acting strange. And then, uh, of course, I'm a little bit like, these idiots don't realize that Kasuga swapped bodies with the goldfish even after seeing him throw the rope at the end of that scene. That, that's the part that doesn't make sense. Like, they had to sit there and uh, Sherlock Holmes the shit. They had to put the things together, like, get all the clues. Like, he's acting like a goldfish and he's not talking and he's laying on the couch, flapping his feet around like they're flippers. It took him a minute to, to piece things together that, oh my gosh, Kasuga swapped bodies with the goldfish that somehow dropped. Talk about dumb luck. I've mentioned before, is dumb luck one of Kasuga's powers? Is it actually one of his powers that he just doesn't know about, that he exploits subconsciously? Because when a goldfish falls out of its bowl, falls three stories down to the street only to land in like an open goldfish bowl with a bunch of other goldfish on its way to a festival to be put in a goldfish catching tank. That is dumb luck of the highest order because most of the time a fish falling out of its tank is going to land on the ground, on the floor. It's going to get run over. It's going to get eaten. This is like immediate and almost near instant death for a fish, but Kasuga's got that dumb luck, right? We got Kasuga logic and we got Kasuga luck. This is Kasuga luck. It's his dumb luck that he manages to just land in another goldfish tank. It's perfectly suited, perfectly suited environment for him now that he's a goldfish and he's been so for about two seconds. Now, when he he comes to, he's already at the festival. He's already in this goldfish catching tank. And we see the other goldfish around him. That's how he kind of realizes he's become a goldfish. He sees the reflection of himself. He sees the other goldfish that surround him. And of note is that these other goldfish are drawn more realistically. They have kind of the bug eyes. They have these expressionless faces. I mean, of course, they're still stylized in that um, anime way. They're not photorealistic representations of goldfish. They're still stylized, but they look more like actual fish where Kasuga, as a fish, is drawn more expressively. He's got human eyes and a mouth, and that allows him to emote during this scene. That allows him to be surprised, or that allows him to be uh, besotted by the, the visage of Ayukawa above him when she's attempting to seduce him. And uh, we can see what Kasuga is feeling and thinking on his face, and it's an important 
piece of, of how all of this stuff in animation, all of this meaning in animation is communicated because we can't rely on live actors to communicate things with subtlety. We really do have to have things kind of drawn maybe a bit more over the top, um, particularly for a comedy, a work that's meant to be so comedic in nature. You really do need, um, you need the main character, the protagonist's face to be uh, more expressive and have these kind of very anthropomorphic features on what really should be a goldfish. These other fish are are gray and gray tones. They're all very grayish, which is often used in Orange Road to depict like nameless bodies in a crowd. You see these in uh, the episode, like some of the foreboding dream episodes. Kosaka had that dream about Shikaru-chan becoming famous and and being taken away from him, and she was surrounded by all of these people, these men, and they were all in suits, and they seemed like they were just these buffers against Kasuga and not allowing him to get close to Shikaru, but they were all drawn the same. They were all in these kind of gray kind of tones, and that keeps them sort of nameless, that keeps them featureless. It implies this uh, sense that there are these other people there are these other goldfish in the tank but we don't need the the detail there so it also kind of creates this ominous tone because as Costco is about to learn there are people at the festival who are going to attempt to catch him uh it, it helps to communicate that sort of trepidation and anxiety from the other fish too now we got to give props to shikaru here she is able to recognize uh, the Kasuga goldfish first. She recognizes the Kasuga fish almost immediately. She thinks the way he runs away is like Kasuga does. It's so cute. There's a lot of not so subtle metaphors for the love triangle in this OVA. And we're gonna I'm gonna mention a few as we go, but this is this is the first of those. Ayukawa comments that the Kasuga goldfish can't decide which way to go. Kasuga can't decide which corner he wants to hide in. And and the girls then decide to compete over who can catch this Kasuga goldfish. This is the first kind of not so subtle metaphor for the love triangle. They're both going after the same fish. I mean, we hear we hear cliches like "there's plenty of fish in the sea." I mean, this is he's literally a fish. There's plenty of fish in this tank to go after. They decide to go after the same one. There's plenty of boys at the high school. Why do they need to go after the same one again? It's a metaphor for. The, the love triangle that we so enjoy in the in the Orange Road media, nonetheless, they're they're kind of beating us over the head a little bit uh, with this. Now, Ayukawa does win the competition to catch the Costco goldfish. She uses her sexuality, which is an odd tactic against a goldfish. It's not a bad tactic to use against Costco if she knew that Costco was inhabiting the body of that goldfish in that moment. You can see that she's wearing the the strapless shirt. There's no sleeves. You know, it's kind of like this bear. I mean, it's perfectly appropriate for the summertime, but it's obviously kind of this sexy thing. Costco notices a little cleavage and, and he's caught off guard. So she manages to like seduce a fish, which strikes me as a little bit weird that Ayuka would even take that tactic because again, it's a fish. She doesn't realize it's Costco. That would be any other goldfish. I mean, it just seems like an odd animal to attempt to uh, seduce. But again, as we saw in episode 13 of the television series, Ayuko has a more mature and sexy allure than Shikaru-chan does, which makes her more readily sexualized 
by some of the male characters than than the other girls in the show, but it also makes her seem like mature and aloof in a way that hooks Kasuga from the very beginning of the series and continues to stoke his interest in her as we go through the series. So it was the perfect tactic for her to use, and it's a great way to defeat Shikaru in terms of trying to attract Kasuga or any animal whose body Kasuga's spirit might be inhabiting at that moment. Now, Shikaru is not without her own wiles. She manipulates Ayukua into giving her the Kasuga goldfish. She seems a little sullen afterward. She's a little bummed out. She's a little wistful. She's kind of, oh, it's too bad. I really wanted to catch the goldfish. She's giving that type of performance, and I do use the word performance purposefully. She seems to have learned from her experience with the four-leaf clover that we saw just a couple of episodes ago episode 15 of the TV series. She knows that she can put a little bit of pressure on Ayukawa, and Ayukawa is likely to give this trinket over to her. It's just a goldfish after all. It makes me wonder whether or not the contest to see who would win the Kasuga fish was rigged from the get-go. Was Shikaru basically outsourcing half of the labor of catching the fish to Ayukawa under the guise of a contest? Because she knew that even if she lost the contest, she could just pull that kind of cute, naive thing, act a little sullen, and then uh, put pressure on Ayukawa to give up the fish. I mean, she knew she was getting the fish either way, right? Or at least she knew there was a strong chance that she could act a certain way and that Ayukawa feeling like the older sister who has to look out for the younger a slightly less capable little sister, best friend, she would give that up. There's this great shot of like a super soft and out of focus reflection of Ayukua's face on the baggie containing the Kasuga fish as Ayukua contemplates giving it to Shikaru. So there's a really, really good evidence of animation upgrades right here. There's a very great example of how the OVA stepped it up in terms of the animation from the television series. It allows for this rack focus. So Ayuko's face is initially blurry and the Kasuga fish is is perfect focus, crisp focus, but then they switch places. This is called a rack focus. So something out of focus in in the in the cameras uh something out of focus on screen becomes into focus uh as we're watching it, no cuts. So this is a rack focus. Ayuko's face is out of focus. It's very, very blurry. In fact, you can barely tell it's Ayuko's face. And then the focus shifts and suddenly Ayuko's face comes into focus. Crystal clear. The Kasuga goldfish recedes and goes out of focus. And this is a textbook example of what's called a rack focus. And it's a filmmaking technique. It draws attention to something from something else. It can help to imply and communicate relationships between two things. Uh, in this case, it's obvious that Ayuko was considering the Kasuga goldfish. She's thinking about handing it over to Shikaru at this moment. And so this is a really great example of, of some of the animation upgrades, like I said a moment ago. It's it's just some really beautiful animation that we get out of these OVA. And that's a, a wonderful instance. Shikaru's room is heavily decorated with images of Kasuga. They're printed on like large poster-sized paper. Well before the days of the internet made such things easy and cheap. Nowadays, digital photography plus cheap printing, you can you can get a large kind of poster-sized picture of a family member 
printed 18 by 24 or something like that. But this is well before those days. So I, I always wonder, like, is this meant to be kind of freaky? Like, are we supposed to see this and think like an indication that maybe Shikaru's feelings for Kasuga go into a little bit of an unhealthy place? I wondered that. It doesn't seem to freak Kasuga out at all. Kasuga notices all of the photos of himself all over Shikaru's wall, and it really doesn't seem to phase him very much at all. He doesn't get creeped out. I can tell you I would be a little creeped out if I was admitted to someone's room for the first time. And as I looked around, I saw multiple, like six, eight, ten pictures of me of various sizes where eight by ten was the smallest size. To me, that would be a very freaky thing, but but Kasuga handles it fine. This also seems to be the first time Kasuga has been inside of Shikaru's room. We as an audience see Shikaru's room very briefly in episode uh, TV episode 10, but there were no pics of Kasuga up on the wall at that time. We also know that Kasuga does get to see Shikaru's room in TV episode 35, although he's under a hypnotic state at that time. So he wouldn't have noticed anything else going on then either. But I, I do recall from TV episode 35, I don't believe that there were pictures of Kasuga up on the wall at that time either. So it's a feature of Shikaru's room that is unique to this episode. Uh, but it's supposed to really tell us that she's got a big thing for, for Kasuga. Now, it's smart of Kurumi to wear gloves when handling the rope. It's really weird that like they're they're such idiots that they can't figure out that Kasuga switched bodies with a goldfish for like 10 minutes. But they're smart enough that Kurumi is going to take the precaution of wearing these white gloves when she's handling the rope. But then on the other hand, they're dumb enough to use the rope as a leash for Jingaro. They've already got one end touching the damn cat. I mean, how much easier are you going to make this? They're alternating intelligence and stupidity from the rest of the Kasugas that aren't Kyosuke in this episode. It really is kind of a plot device. I mean, they, they really only exist to make sure that this plot goes as it does, as unlikely as these events are, even for a family with ESP. It's even more ridiculous that they expect a cat to be able to sniff around town to find a goldfish. And then for whatever reason, they leave Jingaro in Shikara's room to be found by uh, Mrs. Hiyama, when it would have been just as easy for them to teleport Jingaro out when they left. It's cool that Ayukawa recognizes Jingaro as the Kasuka family cat until she spills wine all over him and doesn't realize that's the reason why his coloration is different. But then, of course, you've got Shikaru automatically wanting the cat too. It reminds her of Kasuka because it looks like Jingaro and, and anything that's related to Kasuka is hers, according to her. And, and it really, it might be an indication of Ayukawa having let that shit go a little too far. If you give things up to Shikaru every time she puts pressure on you, eventually she's going to learn that that works. Whether she thinks about it consciously or if it's just a subconscious thing, she is going to begin to understand via classical conditioning that if she behaves in a certain manner, she gets what she wants She's going to keep doing it. So, of course, she's going to put pressure on Ayukua to give her the cat, too. And again, props to Ishikaru for being so good at spotting Kasuga's soul. I mean, she knows when Kasuga's inside these animals. She doesn't know, but she's got a really good, almost sixth sense for that type of thing. At this point in time, 
Ayukua pleads with Shikaru not to take the cat as well as the goldfish, which I thought was an interesting choice of words. Please don't take the cat. Take the cat, as if Ayukua doesn't have a say in it. Shikaru is going to take the cat or not take the cat, and that was an interesting way for Ayukua to phrase this. There's a reason Ayukua allows Shikaru to walk on her a little bit, to push her a little bit here. At various places in this series, Ayukawa and Shikaru are compared to sisters. They're said to be like sisters. They're as close as sisters. That type of thing is used to communicate their relationship. And oftentimes in sibling relationships, the mature, older child typically has to be compelled by parents oftentimes, to share with the younger, less mature child because the older child has a greater capacity for monopolizing resources. So the older child is bigger. The older child is more experienced. The older child is probably more coordinated, especially at younger ages. So if the older child wants something, the older child can take it. And if the younger child wants to prevent that, then the it's very difficult for the younger child to to overpower the older one. And so the dynamic here is similar. Ayukawa is both older and a far more gifted athlete and a tremendous martial artist. I mean, there's no way they're throwing hands. Shikaru is not winning that one. And and Shikaru knows that. I think she's got to be a little bit more subtle here. So this could be an instance where Ayukawa's relative high maturity kind of fails her against Shikaru's more childlike nature. And typically when it comes to attracting Kasuga, for instance, Ayukawa's maturity and aloofness, there's an allure there. And part of it is that she's sexy too, but there's something that draws Casca to her that really doesn't work for Shikaru as much. And we see that um, in episode 13 of the television series. The goldfish was a great example of that. You know, the older sibling is good at catching the goldfish. So sometimes she's got to give them up to the the younger, kind of more childlike sibling. And so that that seems very natural here too and and Shikaru is obviously trying to exploit the nature of that relationship there's also the hypothesis as floated by um a couple of and I I love an insane hypothesis as much if not more than anybody but uh Mr. Alan R who is a, a beloved patron of Team Almy Studios has uh, floated that possibly there might be a little bit of like a darker side to Shikaru, and and that may very much be true. And if you're aware of that, as Ayuko might be, then you might be a little bit afraid too of triggering that. So there may even be like a little bit of like we don't want Shikaru to snap and and start like cutting us in our sleep. So we might see some evidence of that later on down the line. Ayukawa does actually win at Shikaru's game. She does the crocodile tears thing, and and she makes Shikaru feel guilty, and Shikaru gives the the cat back to Ayukawa, who then turns around, snatches the cat, and reveals that she wasn't really crying, and and she just kind of got Shikaru. She, she, she played the game. Shikaru played the game. Ayukawa played the game back. It's how it goes. Again, we see some, some more not-at-all-subtle metaphor for the love triangle. The girls, of course, decide to make the Kasuga cat choose which one he wants to go with. Of course, Kasuga, as a cat, can't decide which way to go because he's indecisive. That would seem to imply what we saw at the end of episode 15 
when Kosuga is meeting the girls at the art gallery for his father Takashi's photo exhibition, in his voiceover he claims that he could not possibly choose between the two. That even though they're different, they're they're equal in his eyes. But I called bullshit on that, and I, I call bullshit on it here. I don't think that he's indecisive because this show, the OVA, the TV series, the movie, um, maybe more the movie than anything, they hammer home how much Kasuga prefers Ayukawa. I've spoken about it in the past, so I won't belabor the point, but Shikaru is an afterthought to Kasuga. You can go back and listen to some of my previous episodes if you need me to cite specific instances, but he thinks about Ayukawa all the time, every day. She's always on his mind. Shikaru-chan, not so much. Unless there's something specifically going on with Shikaru-chan in that episode that piques Kasuga's anxiety, Typically, she's not on his mind at all, and it sucks for Shikaru. I feel a lot of compassion for Shikaru because of that. She can't compete with Ayukawa for Kasuga. I think Kasuga's indecision here and sometimes in other places, it's a downstream effect of him being a people pleaser. It's not so much that he can't decide whether he wants to be with Ayukawa or Shikaru, because obviously he wants to be with Ayukawa. Every episode, he wants to be with Ayukawa. But it's that he knows that once he makes his decision, Shikaru is going to be hurt by it. He knows he's going to choose Ayukawa. And he knows that that's going to upset Shikaru. And he's a people pleaser. That's why he's, that's why he blows so much smoke up everyone's ass, especially Shikaru's. He can never give her a straight answer and he can never break it off with her until the very, very end. And it's really because he doesn't like hurting other people. And unfortunately, that affects Kasuga too because he's stringing her along. And he's only prolonging his own sense of guilt. Now, both girls agree that the animals remind them of Kasuga in this episode, but for different reasons. Ayukua notes each animal's indecision. They can't decide which way they want to go, and they're unable to decide upon a, a strategy and, and pick something and stick with it. Shikaru, on the other hand, just thinks they're cute. They remind her of Kasuga because they're cute. It would seem to show that Ayukua has a deeper understanding of Kasuga's nature. She understands Kasuga inside. Shikaru's kind of focused on the surface level, like he's cute or, or it runs like Kasuga, so he's cute. He's just kind of focused on this veneer, this cuteness that, that Kasuga possesses. And if they're also cute, then, then of course they remind her of Kasuga. But Ayuko really seems to have Kasuga pegged, his personality. And she knows his flaws. It's not like his indecision is considered a beneficial personality trait of his. It's not like Ayukawa loves the indecision about Kasuga, but she's aware of his flaws. And nonetheless, she likes the guy. It implies that whatever Kasuga would build with Ayukawa would probably be more stable. It would be built on a more firm and mature foundation than something with Shikaru, a relationship where you're cute in the beginning, but you live with somebody for a couple of years and you get on their nerves. As a married man, I know you got to build a relationship on more than surface level cuteness. You've got to have a little bit more depth and you've got to understand the person. You can't just be with somebody forever because they're cute. It's interesting that Kasuga can't use his power when he's in the cat body or the goldfish bodies. 
this would imply that the power is tied to his his body, his physical form, and not his his spirit or his soul, which is moving from body to body. But this also contradicts the episode where he body swaps with Kazuya. In that episode, he body swaps with Kazuya because he wants access to Kazuya's telepathy. However, he finds that he's not able to use Kazuya's telepathy once he switched bodies with Kazuya. Kazuya duped him. So one would think that he would bring with him into the bodies of these other animals the power that he has. Again, it's a contrivance that I believe they put in place for this episode without thinking much about his other appearance with Kazuya and that the power moved with him, with his spirit or with his soul when he swapped bodies. Because if he had the power in Jingoro's body, if he had the power in the goldfish body, it would make things a lot easier for him and he wouldn't be in such a predicament. So in order to raise the stakes, you have to strip him of the power. Also, in order to make stakes at the end feel very real with Ayuko being in danger, breathing in all that gas and dying, he saves her life. It would be easy for him to do so if he had the power. It would be no problem to shut that pilot light off, but he's not able to use the power, which means he's got to jump for it. I think he probably could have woken up Ayukawa maybe a little bit more directly instead of just falling on her because he was trying to jump up on the wall and, and, and hit a switch as a cat. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It makes a lot more sense that he would like nudge Ayukawa, maybe even nip her toes or a little whatever to, to wake her up, but whatever. Again, it's a plot contrivance to make the thing work. He's got to save Ayukawa so that he can almost get that smooch in the end. Now, the ceremony to summon Kasuga's soul back to his body is pretty hilarious, in my opinion. I thought it was very weird when I first saw it, but but looking back on it now and kind of understanding the the whole mood of Orange Road in general and the comedic tone that goes throughout the series, except Anohi, it's pretty funny to watch them like banging the silverware together and shit. I loved it. I don't know if it's maybe that's like part of the magic is that the silverware is actually silver because in other folklore and traditions, the silver does have these kind of magic properties. But the, the idea that they're just holding a bunch of forks and knives and banging them together is kind of funny instead of using something a little bit more ritualistic, like some old um, Shinto bell or something like that that they could have used that might have a little bit more of a mystical aura versus the thing that you use to eat a chicken breast. You know, like we were using that thing at lunch to cut turkey, and now we're using it in the evening to summon Kasuga's spirit back to his body. This episode is bookended by replaying Kasuga's opening voiceover dialogue. They do that to reiterate the theme of the episode, where Kasuga says that it would be nice to be a goldfish or a cat for certain reasons, but that goldfish and cats must have problems of their own. And so it replays this to remind us that the life of a goldfish or a cat, while enviable in some ways, they don't have to do homework, they don't have to work, it's still... Not without its drawbacks, because the 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 relative freedoms that Kasuga lost when he was trapped in the body of these animals was significant. And it also gives us the ending photograph for this episode, where Jingoro is trying to uh, snatch the the goldfish out of his his bowl. So we saw some really great improvements in animation over the television series. Uh, they're immediately apparent in this episode. 
Jingaro's movements as he's trying to get to the goldfish, for example, we get clear lines, very much more crisp, more colors and shading, better depth, and better effects like the one I mentioned earlier with that rack focus. There's really some beautiful animation. I almost wish the whole television show was animated like this, so we could go back and watch, rewatch the show with this caliber and this level of animation. Alrighty. I want to remind you guys that we have a Patreon page. You can become a patron of Team Almy Studios. Patreon.com slash Team Almy. Please check us out. I'm posting bonus episodes such as this one early over there, as well as our chat episodes. We're going to be doing live commentaries as well, starting with Shinkor, Summer's Beginning. Also, you can listen to my other podcast, Shit Happens When You Party Naked over there on the Patreon as well. So I would love for you to go sign up. I'll even send you some merch, all tiers. I send merch. So check us out. Check out innercirclepn.com for a whole host of other podcasts that are in my network that are hilarious, awesome podcasts that you can listen to during the week uh, on days that you're not listening to this. In honor of our new bop, Choose Me by Tsubokura Yuiko, I am going to play choose me for you guys let's end with choose me thank you guys for listening we're gonna check you next week